Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. So glad you guys are here in this place. Super Bowl Sunday. It's always Super Bowl Sunday, right? Amen. It's always Super Sunday. <laughs> I'll get that later. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 6, if you will. 2 Samuel chapter 6, while everybody's getting their seats, you're the outlines are available. I think there's paper outlines. It's all Everything's available on our app. Uh, just go to Sunday Experience and click on Sermon Notes, and it'll take you right to the notes, everything I'm going to be speaking today. And um, we're going to go to 2 Samuel 6, and I'm going to read the entire chapter to you. Buckle your seatbelts. Okay, 23 chapters, 23 verses, not chapters, 23 verses, and I promise you, um, you say, well, that's a lot, Pastor. Well, we need a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? We need some fixing. We need some things in this place. I promise you this will be the best time you spent. Better, it's, this is better than Netflix, better than social media. Um, we need the scriptures, amen? 23 verses, uh, buckle down. Here we go. This is what the Word of God says in the Bible. 2 Samuel 6, beginning with verse 1, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, everybody say a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadad. Now, I'm going to stop here and tell you something that I'm going to pronounce these names as they look. I've studied all these names, and I can't pronounce them because I don't speak this language because they don't, you don't pronounce them the way they sound, okay? So bear with me, and, and I'm going to pronounce them just how this white boy from West Texas would say it, okay? Um, I don't know any other way to do it. So they brought it to the house of Abinadad, which was on a hill, and Uzzah, that, you don't say the ooze when the Greek, you don't, in the Hebrew, you don't say the Z's, it's ua. So just, it'll throw you off. So Uzzah and Ohio, I want to say Ohio, but it's Ohio. Um, they're tricky names. So Uzzah and Ohio, the son of Benadad, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Benadad, which was on a hill, accompanied the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music. Before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments and tambourines and sistrums and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon, that's not Nacho with an N, it's Nachon. When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead from his error, and he died right there by the ark of God. Then David became very angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the, afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, 
would not, he would not move the ark of the Lord with him. He left it there. He basically said, I'm not doing this anymore. So David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Now it was told to King David saying, hey, look, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the things belonging to him because the, the ark of the God is there. The ark of God is there. So David went and brought up the ark of God to the house, from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Everybody say six paces. Six steps. When they had gone six steps, he sacrificed oxen and the fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of trumpet. Now the ark of the Lord came to the city of David and Michal's and Mich came to the city of David. Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Okay? I need to tell you, just give you a little footnote here. Michal is David's wife, but she's never referred to as David's wife in this scripture. She's referred to as Saul's daughter. That's going to be important in a little bit. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he distributed among the people and among the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, um, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone in the house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, you got to put the sarcasm in here. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, and one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So she's ticked off. So you can put a little emphasis in her voice right there. So David said to, to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Ooh. Talk about a gut punch right there. <laughs> the Lord chose me instead of your daddy to be the ruler of all the people of the Lord of Israel. Therefore, I'll play music, woman. <laughs> I can just hear it. I'll play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and, and, and will humble and be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be, I will be held in honor. And then verse 23, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I'm going to shift gears for you and tell you a little story about that took place in the 1800s going into the beginning of the 1900s. Um, they discovered and they had realized and they determined that mosquitoes had nothing to do with malaria in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Experts believe that ants 
those little creatures that crawl, were the culprit behind uh, the malaria infections that broke out in the 1800s. The experts of the day believed if everything they had, that in the areas where there was malaria and yellow fever, uh, where it was breaking out, they believed that the ants were making the people sick. And so this misinformation or this misthinking or this misunderstanding of reality was responsible for the deaths of over 20,000 people during this, one of the most ambitious, ambitious building projects in all of human history. They were working on this 50-mile stretch called the Panama Canal. You know what I'm talking about. It's what connects the Atlantic Ocean to the, to the Pacific Ocean. The, can, the, the canal would, would save boats about 8,000 miles. It's a shortcut. Otherwise, if they didn't have this, they would have to go around South America. And so this Panama saved them, this canal saved them 8,000 miles. The French were in charge of this project at the time, but they eventually ran out of money, and, and the project was scrapped for a while. Uh, they were 30 years into this project. They worked on this project for 30 30 years and blue uh, had already spent about in I say blue they had already spent about seven billion in today's currency and then thanks to Teddy Roosevelt and the United States ambition to have to desire a shortcut for military purposes the U.S. took on this project and it was so you have to understand during the first two decades of this project twenty to thirty thousand people died and almost all of them died of fever and malaria. And none of them got that disease from ants. And yet experts believe that it was the ants that would bring the disease up from the earth. And so everybody just determined, and all the experts said, we got to stop these ants. we got to get rid of the ants. we got to eradicate the ants. The experts uh, incorrectly believed that we got to get, at all costs, we got to wage war on these ants. Uh, uh, they wouldn't even put screens, screen doors up, and screens in the windows in the hospitals because, we, hey, we got to stop the ants. And, and, uh, you know, and so what they would do is they would do everything they could. The fruit tree where the ants like to go. They would put crockery rings around the fruit trees and they would put, fill those with water because that would kill the ants. They even believed, and you, they even tried, they believed that the, that the, the, that the ants were going to come into the hospitals and, and they were going to come up and, and, and all the people that were in the hospitals, they were going to make the, they, they were, these people were going to sick. You have to understand, three out of four people that were in the hospitals, that were admitted to hospitals, at this work site at the Panama Canal, three out of four people died that were in the hospital. That was the statistics. And so every, every hospital bed, all four legs, they would put, uh, set that leg in a bowl of water so that the ants would not be able to crawl up the leg of the bed and the ants would eventually die. And, and yet the windows were fully open. And you know what loves stagnant water and man-made pools of fresh water? Mosquitoes that love that carry malaria. So uh, this disease was running rampant and they were trying to keep the ants away and they're trying to do all this, but mosquitoes were the real problem. And so the Americans finally took over and someone finally got a clue and uh, they put two and two together and they realized, hey, it's the mosquitoes. It's not the ants. So the hospitals, they came in and they put all these screens in the windows and they fixed all the doors so that the mosquitoes couldn't get in. They got rid of all the freshwater moats and the little bowls of water, everything that would attract mosquitoes. And then finally, in, in, in the final 10 years, going up to 1915, when the Panama Canal was finally opened, in that time, only 3,000 additional people had died 
when 22,000 to 30,000 people had died in the previous two decades. The point of that story is this. You can do the right thing the wrong way. It doesn't matter what theater you're in. It doesn't matter what you're in. You can do the right thing the wrong way. They were fighting disease. They were trying. They were doing everything they could to get rid of this disease. They just happened to be fighting the wrong enemy. And they were trying to get rid of ants when it was the mosquitoes that were the problem. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. Uzzah is, Uzzah is doing the right thing, but he's doing it the wrong way. It was David's heart to bring back this the God. It was, it was his heart to bring God back to the center of his life and bring God back to the center of the nation of Israel. And it wasn't long after David took over the city of Jerusalem uh, that was controlled by the Jebusites that David realized and he had this great desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to where it had been sitting stagnant and static for three decades. See, the Philistines had taken over control of the ark because they thought it was sacred memorabilia. They treated the ark kind of like a keychain rabbit's foot. That's, you know what I mean, rub it or something, you know, and they'll get good luck. And they, so they, they, they took control of the ark. And, and so the Philistines took the ark from the nation of Israel, thinking that it would bring them good luck, but it brought nothing but misery. And so they said, they told the Israelites, hey, you can have this thing back. We, we don't want this ark. Come and get it. But the Israelites just kind of left the ark parked in the garage at Uzzah's house for three decades. For three decades, that box sat there in a garage, stagnant and static. And David details the process for this in his longing to see the ark return to the nation of Israel. Because you have to understand, the ark, the covenant, the ark of, it represented, this ark symbolized the presence of God. This symbolized the glory of God. This ark represented, this was a snapshot of heaven. The ark is a little glimpse into God's presence. That's why there's angels covering the ark, the cherubim, because this represents God's presence. Everything about the outside of this ark, everything that's on the inside of this box, everything symbolizes the presence of God and, 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 and how what we have to do to get access to God because we once had access before the fall. And so this box, this gold-covered box is symbolic to the presence of God. Wherever that God box goes, the presence of God is there. David talks about this in Psalms 132, that he can't sleep and he can't eat because he longed for the presence of God to be back in his life, to be back in the nation of Israel, back in the heart of Israel where the presence of God belonged. David longed to see the whole nation of Israel take their lives back. That's what we've been talking about, taking our lives back. It's my life, taking control back. Because Israel had, you know, idolatry and fullness and sin and, and, and all that kind of stuff that had descended the nation of Israel. And David wanted to see the ark restored. David longed for the presence of God to be back in the nation of Israel. And David wanted this joy because with the presence of God comes joy and gladness. And all that would come from the presence of God. David wanted everybody to tap into the presence of God. So that not just that they can have joy 
Sabbath. He wanted them to live differently. He wanted them to, you know, to do things differently. Don't just live the way your neighbors live. Don't just go with the flow. He said, I want the whole nation of Israel. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to live life to its fullest. And so for three decades, that's 30 years for some of you, this family had taken the ark Abinadad's son, Abinadad's family, and finally his son, Uzzah, said, Hey, David, I got this tremendous idea. Great idea. Let's bring the ark back. But let's do it in style. Let's do it in style. Let's, let's up the game a little bit. Let's bring the, bar, the ark back, but not how we used to be carried. Let's don't, do, let's don't carry it like it used to be carried. Instead, let's carry it like the Philistines carry it. And so they're going to do the right thing the wrong way. Because if you know anything about the ark, if you go to Exodus chapter 25, it outlines how to, how to handle the ark. And, and, and it specifically prohibits any method of transportation for the ark of the covenant other than using two poles carried by four men. Not just any four men. They can't randomly go get four men. These four men had to be descendants of Moses, and they had to be from the tribe of the Levites. So there were four men that were supposed to carry the ark with poles on their shoulders, and these poles were put through rings, and those poles were not to be taken out of those rings. And then, and that was the only way that the ark was to be transported. And then... On top of that, the ark was never to be touched with human hands. Never. That's all in Exodus 25. But hey, Uzzah just graduated from college. He just got his degree. He just, you know what I mean? He knows better now. He knows, you know, he's smarter than everyone else. And he has a new and better way to do this. We need to update, the, update things. We need to modernize this deal. Uh, what does God really care anyway? What does God really care about how we do things anyway? So Uzzah put the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant of God on a cart, which is how the Philistines trans, transported it. And then to make things work worse, the oxen that were pulling the Ark, pulling the cart, they stumbled. The Ark began to tip over, and Uzzah ran over there and reached out his hand to stabilize the Ark. And he died. God struck him dead on the spot. Now, to you, you may be sitting back listening to me, and you may be thinking of this story. That's harsh. Why would God do that? Why would a loving God do that? Seems like, whoa, that's an aggressive God. You know, he, God's got anger issues. Uh, you know, this seems so unwarranted. It's not fair just to strike a, dead guy, a guy dead like that. Just one little infraction. He was just trying to help things out, you know. The guy doesn't even get a warning, man. It's just like, bam, he's dead. But the reality is, there's a lot more going on in Uzzah's life than we're seeing here. There's a lot more going on. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I told you last week it happens one one thought at a time. You don't wreck your life overnight. It happens one thought at a time. Pretty soon, two years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, you're looking at yourself going, how did I get my life here? How How did I end up here? 
Uzzah had spent 30 years of his life guarding that ark. It was parked in his garage. He had a very good understanding about the regulations concerning the ark because after all, he got it in his garage. Uzzah had access to all the information. He knew the rules. He understood what was out of bounds. He understood how you handle these things. See, sometimes we wonder why our life is a mess right here in the church. And man, it just doesn't seem fair, Pastor. It just doesn't seem. The truth of the matter is we all have access to the rules concerning the truth about our lives. We all have access. The problem is, is Uzzah had obviously begun to feel a little self-important which is easy to do when you've been given an important job. If you're a boss, if you're a manager, you know, you can, this can take over. You can all of a sudden become, I'm, I'm somebody, I'm somebody. In other words, let me put it to you, in other words, let me break this down. In other words, I'm important, so the rules don't apply to me. That's the easiest thing to do in the world when you're in management or anything like that when you're important when you've got a title or anything you know I'm important the rules don't apply to me see God has given us an important job all of us of carrying the message of Jesus Christ into this world and we've never we must never church we must never come to a place where we feel like we don't need to do the things that God has called us to do because you know I, I'm a mature Christian I've been doing this for a long time and you know I, I I'm just going to leave some of that for the young bucks you know they need some experience anyway you know I, we're just I, I'm just gonna, you know I've been doing this for a long time I just don't have time I'm a real busy man you know I got I got all this to do I, you know I don't need to do those things you know so uh, they need the experience we'll just leave them to do that and I'll I'll just do what I want. The rules don't apply to me. See, Uzzah represents a religious spirit. He represents a religious spirit. Eugene Peterson, if you know who that is, uh, um, he puts it in a very he puts it very well in an autobiography on the life of David. He says this. I'll quote Eugene Peterson. He said, "Uzzah is the person who has God in a box and officiously assumes." responsibility for keeping God safe in the mud and the dust of the world. Men and women keep showing up who take it upon themselves to protect God from the vulgarity of sinners and the ignorance of, hum- of common people. His death wasn't sudden. It was years in the making. Talking about Uzzah. His death wasn't sudden. He got there. It was years in the making. You see, as Uzzah had adopted this religious formality... And his reaction to put his hand, I'm going to put my hand on the ark. His reaction to put his hand out to take care of God. I got this, God. I don't need to obey the rules. Besides, somebody's got to help you out. The, the rules about how to approach the ark doesn't apply to me because I've been guarding it for 30 years. I'm important. You know, you gave me this responsibility. The rules don't apply to me. I don't need to do the things that you've called me to do. I don't need to obey the commandments that you've laid out for me. I don't need to obey the instructions that you've put out for me for my life. It's enough, God, that, that, I, that, that I've brought you along on this journey with me. It's enough that I, I, I let you on my card. You should be happy about that, God. After all, nobody else was capable of doing this. I, I took it all upon myself. We got this done. It's enough that I showed up to church on Sunday.
look, God, look at that nice little cart I got for you to ride on. I'll fit you into this nice little hour on Sunday. The rest of the time, I'm going to do what I want to do. Look at me, God. How nice of me to allow you to be here in this moment, in this hour. Because let me tell you something, Uzzah heard the same music that everybody else heard. But there's no dancing inside of Uzzah's soul. And that's because Uzzah was outwardly formal. He had an outward appearance of having it all together. He had an outward form of religiousosity, going through the motions, play in church, but there was no reality of God on the inside of him. Here's the truth, and you need to let this sink in today. This is the beating heart of this message right here. A religion that you can control has no power to save your soul. A religion that you can control has no power to save your soul. A religion you can control has no power to deliver you. It has no power to save your marriage. It has no power to heal you if you can control it. There was no reality. There was no life. There was no pulse inside of Uzzah. Uzzah was in control on the outside, but inside he was dead. God was riding on Uzzah's little cart. He reached out. His hand to catch God because God was going to fall. Let me tell you something right here. Y'all can sit up and lean into this right now. You don't need a God who you don't need to serve a God who you have to catch. They shouted a lot louder than y'all in the first service about that. You don't need a God that you have to catch. You need a God that can catch you. You need to serve a God who can hold you up. I, I don't want to serve a God where i got to walk all the time and wonder if he's still standing up or not, wondering whether he's going to wobble over and fall down. I don't want to serve a God like that. I want to serve a God that's going to walk behind me and hold me up and going to steal me up and push me up and got me and going to keep me from tipping over. That's the kind of God I want to serve. And Uzzah's death, which had been, it had been slowly unfolding, involving for years, and it finally became permanent. Now David's horrified. David's caught in the middle. David has the best intentions. David's just trying to be king. David's just trying to be pastor. David is just a shepherd guy who loves, who loves God with all his heart. And, and, and the moment David took the capital city, it later became called the city of David. It's in your scriptures. David is like, man, God needs to be back in this place. God needs to be back in the center of this nation. So David is a musician. He, he likes music, and he brings all of his music. He gets the band back together, <laughs> and he brings all the musicians in, and there's all this music, and there's all these instruments. And David, see, David uh, looks over there, and Uzzah's got the cart. And David's like, ah. That looks kind of sketchy. I don't know about that. I could relate with David, you know, pastors. That's a great idea, but I don't know about that. You know, I don't, you know, and you get caught in the middle. I'm not sure that's supposed to be done that way. And then all of a sudden, Uzzah's dead. David's caught in the middle. David cancels the party. David, everything's canceled. Party canceled. I'm out of here. This just went bad. This got real, real fast. And, and the text says David was angry with God. David was unwilling to go any further. I'm done. You have to understand that this is, proves to us right now that God is not just sitting there waiting to smite somebody. Otherwise, God would have dealt with David for his anger. 
Come on, somebody. He dealt with Uzzah because this is years in the making. David got mad. David threw a temper tantrum. But God didn't deal with him. You need to know that Uzzah clearly had been on a journey where he was given opportunity after opportunity to open himself up to the reality of God, the destruction he brought up on himself. In my words, Uzzah had been playing church for 30 years without opening himself up to the reality of God's presence, without roping himself up to the reality of the Holy Spirit, without opening himself up and letting God do a work on the inside. There's a lot more to the presence of God than just an outward appearance. There's a lot more to the presence of God than just showing up to church for an hour on Sunday. For Uzzah, there was more to this. And we're just seeing his outward professionalism because he's got a job to do and he's an important guy. Now David's mad. David's confused. David's, David doesn't understand. And, and, and listen, and God does nothing but pour, keep pouring out blessings. Which is really exciting to me because that tells me that, listen, you know, looking at David's life, he got mad, he got angry, he's ticked off. And that tells me that God, and God kept pouring out blessings. That tells me that God can handle your emotion. God can handle your emotion. God is big enough to handle you this morning. God is big enough to handle whatever you got going on inside of your heart. God is big enough to handle you when you're frustrated. God can handle you when you're confused, when you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're sad, when you're mad, when you're crying. God can handle that if you'll bring it to him. And so David leaves the ark. He said, I'm, I'm done with this. He leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house, and God just still pouring out blessing. The scripture said he blessed God, Obed, Obed's house. Blessed his house. God is so good, he even blesses people when, you're, when he's ignored. And David's heart hears about these blessings coming down, and he says, man, i got to have some of that. we got to get that ark back to this place. And David says, all right, let's do this again. Let's do this again. But this time I've learned a lesson. See, I don't know how many times I can relate to this, you know, as a pastor, you know. Screwed up, you know, made a mistake. Let's do this again. Let's try this again. David assesses the situation. I can imagine David probably said, this time, you know what, let's do it God's way. <laughs> Good idea. Let's do things God's way. This time, let's read the book of Exodus 25 and let's see what it says. This time, you better bring two poles. And, and this time, listen, uh, we're going to carry the ark properly. And listen, get that cart and make a bonfire out of it. Burn that thing down because we're not using that thing no more. And so, so they get the poles and they get the four men from the, from the descendants of Moses, the tribe of Levi. They get the four men, they get the two poles, and, and they stick them in the ark. And they got all that together and they lift the ark and they start marching. One step. Two steps, three steps, four steps, five steps, six steps. And on the six steps, David said, stop right there and don't move another muscle. They're about to take the next step, and David says, no, stop right there. David stops everything dead in its tracks, and they hold the ark perfectly still because David said, hey, now bring in the sacrifices. 
bring in the sacrifice. The sacrifice is butchered. They offered it to God. They take some time to worship God, if you will. They take some time to honor God, if you will. Uh, they take some time to just say, thank you, God, for everything that you've done. We're told that it just wasn't any sacrifice either. If you study this, we're told it was the exact form of sacrifice. There's many different sacrifices in the Old Testament, uh, but one of them, the one that David did here, was called the burnt offering. And the difference in the burnt offering and all the other offerings is before the burnt offering is offered up, hands would be placed on the head of the beast. And, and this was symbolic to all the sins being transferred upon the head of the beast. And this was basically saying, hey, there is a price to be paid for what I've done. I'm putting my sins upon the head of the beast. And, and, and that, that process had to take place. And instead of me bearing the weight of my sin, thank God that I can transfer my sins to the head of this animal. That's what they were saying. And essentially, it's a picture of the cross. There's a substitute. See, the whole system of burnt offering was a way of looking forward to the day that Jesus would be hung on a cross. And Jesus, as Jesus was hung on the cross, Isaiah even said, the sins of all of us were laid upon him. They were transferred upon him. And God, listen to this, God looked at Jesus who never sinned as though he committed all the sin uh, and so, uh, so that God might look at all of us who did commit all the sin and God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So there's a substitute. Thank you Jesus for the substitute. Can somebody say amen in this place? I need this side to say amen. All right, yeah, because there's unbalance here, and i got to have balance in my life. So Jesus was willing to go to the cross, but, you know, even the Bible in Moses, even Moses said, you know, he lifted the snake in the desert, and he said, Jesus will be lifted up on the cross. Jesus will be our sin bearer. Jesus is the beast. Jesus is the sacrifice. And, and that's what David is saying. David realized the problem. Uzzah had this religious formality. Uzzah had this deadness on the inside, being stagnant on the inside. Uzzah was simply putting God on his little toy cart. And David basically saying, wait, 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 wait. I realize now the only way that I can stand before God, the only way that we can stand in the presence of God, someone has to deal with our sin nature and someone has to deal with our hearts. Before you're going to see breakthrough in your marriage, somebody God's got to deal with your hearts. Before you're going to see breakthrough in any area of your life, before you're going to see blessings, before you're going to see anything, any kind of victory, there, God's going to deal with your heart. You're going to have to stop on the sixth step, and you're going to have to honor God, and you're going to have to worship God, and you're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to put God first, and you're going to have to acknowledge Him. And David was pointing forward to the cross, and, and it's significant that this is the sixth step because the Bible represents seven in the in the Bible represents completion and fullness and and, and it's like the seventh day is a week you know the on the seventh day there the sixth day then there's a it, it, we begin a new week and David was saying on the sixth step this is the place where the sacrifice has to be offered there is no completion without forgiveness nothing can be accomplished without God's power Nothing. We, if, if all you do is just come in here and, and, and hear three songs and three points in a sermon, but there's no sacrifice and there's no worship and there's no, honor, there's no stopping to honor God, there's not going to be any breakthrough. 
The only way that any of us can have a right relationship with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ that's running down the mercy seat of God under the angel's gaze. And, and, and it's not about us being good enough, folks, it's, and, and carrying God in our cart, going to enough services, going to enough Bible studies, doing enough check boxes, that, you know, so that God will eventually go, oh, you're doing good. It's all about someone who has done nothing wrong, who was willing to pay for our sins so that we could be made whole, and then and only then can we make the seventh step. Only then can we be right with God. Only then can we be wholeness. Only then can there be peace on the inside. Every one of us crave peace. Every one of us crave and desire that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We all need it, but you're going to have to stop on the sixth step and honor God and worship Him. And on the sixth step, that's where we sacrifice. That's where we worship. We don't have to sacrifice a beast in here this morning, but we do have to crucify them, sacrifice the flesh. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't do like, oh, bless God. I don't want, it. I don't want so much of that. Then just stay on the sixth step. You're going to be stuck on the sixth step. And then the seventh step, after they sacrificed, after they worshipped, they took the seventh step, and guess what? Ooh, the music began to play. The music began to play. David began to dance. He began to dance unto the Lord. But as David danced, he realized there's still a problem. David was wearing royal garments. David realized what was happening. The ark is passing by. The ark is passing by. See, people saw a box covered in gold. But David realized, huh, that's the king passing by. That's the king of kings passing by. That's the king of kings. David realized he's not, he's a king. Yes, he's a king, little K, but he realized the king of kings is passing by. The king, this is the king of kings. This is the Passover lamb. This is the one whose blood was spread over the doorsteps of the household uh, uh, in Egypt that pointed to Jesus. This is the same blood that ran down the mercy seat of God that pointed to Jesus. David realized in this moment that the king is passing by. The king is passing by. This just ain't any box. This is the king. This is the king. I got to dance. I I got to get excited. This is the king. And when you realize that your sins have been paid for and that you've been forgiven, not because of anything that you can do, any religious formality that you have, any structures that you can have, but you've been forgiven because, not because of anything that you do, but somebody else paid the price for that. A third party that was innocent that shouldn't have paid the price. When you realize someone took your place, all that's left to do is dance, folks. <laughs> dance and get excited. And that's all the left to do. Let the joy carry you away. Let the music swirl in your soul. Let, the, let yourself be free. Let yourself be happy. Be excited when you come to church. Be excited that you come into the presence where the king is passing by. Don't get preoccupied. Well, what are people going to think about me? If I raise my hands, what are they going to think? Am I doing this right? David just didn't care. He just began to dance. 
all the glory of God. David just didn't dance. He did it with all of his might and just got excited and began to leap in joy and dance everywhere. He didn't give a rip what you thought. He was leaping and whirling and joyful, and he realized that the king is passing by. See, David was part of the parade. David was part of the show. David was bringing the ark into the center of a nation, back into the church, back into the presence of of his family. David was bringing that presence uh, uh, back into the whole nation. Everybody was going to get excited. Everybody was going to get some of this. Everybody got to experience this. Some more people, you know, there more people are. The whole nation's going to experience this joy that is found in this relationship with Jesus Christ. The King is passing by. And, and, and so he's excited. So what about Mikhail? That's pronounced Mihao, by the way. Mihao. I'm going to call her Mikhail. <laughs> As you read this, it's safe to say that David did all right. David's excited. David's, David's on top of the mountain. But what about that little footnote? David's dancing in the middle of the street. Ooh, he's got his groove on. And, and his wife, Mikhail, Saul's daughter, was watching from the window. And she's, she's, she's not pleased. She's ticked off. She's mad. In fact, the text says she despised David when she saw that he was dancing around in his linen ephod. <laughs> David's dancing in the linen ephod. She had every right to be upset. I mean, that's probably a sight to see. Let me explain so your minds don't wonder what the linen ephod is. Let me explain the, the significance of this. Basically, his royal garments would have been the outer outfit of show. His outer outfit displayed the king's ornament and his symbols of power, strength, and majesty. So he had this outer garment. And underneath this outfit would have been a simple tunic. So let me translate what happened here. Basically, David took off his tuxedo and he put some jeans and a t-shirt on. That's what happened, okay? He was wearing a simple attire of a servant. That's the significance of this. David, a lot of people think he was just dancing around naked in his underwear. That's not, he took on the attire of a servant. David realized, hey, before the whole, I'm the king of this nation, but we all have something in common here today. We all have something in common here today. David realized, you know what? It doesn't matter the title you have. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter which color you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make or you don't make. David realized one thing. For all of us today, the king is passing by. That's all that mattered. That's all that David cared. That was the only care in the world right now. The king is passing by. David's saying, I might have sovereignty over the nation, but I only have sovereignty over a nation under the authority of the king that's passing by right now. And David stripped himself of the king's attire and put on the attire of a servant because he realizes before God, all, that's all any of us are, servants. He realized that. Whatever we do in life, we're servants. It doesn't matter what title you have. It doesn't matter anything. We're servants. And then the meal that David sent out, at the end of the day, David sent every single person, man, woman, and child, regardless of their title, regardless of their rank, regardless of how much money they made, regardless of what side of the tracks they lived on, regardless of their age or race, David sent this amazing gift, a meal in a bag, a happy meal. 
Now, you, you know, we, 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 we kind of laugh at it, but these were delicate items. These were delicacies. These people didn't have access to this. This was food of a king. This was royalty food. And they even got raisin cakes. A cake of raisins. Delicacies. David, David's giving out this food to everyone. And he's basically saying, I, I, yes, I am the king. And I, but listen, I, I'm dressing so you understand that I'm a servant like you because I realize I'm just one of the people today and we are all, all of us, we are sons and daughters of the king that's passing by. David saw that every single person, regardless of the job they had, how much money they had in the bank, what kind of car they drove, he said, if we would just embrace this relationship with God through Jesus, and be, we would all be elevated to sons and daughters of the Most High God. David was saying to the people, you all going to eat like royalty today. Every one of you is getting a royal meal today because in Jesus' name, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and there's power in that. And when we embrace, listen, when we embrace a servant's towel and we embrace that lowly position, we are elevated as sons and daughters of the king of kings to be used in spectacular ways. You're not going to bypass that process to be used in spectacular ways. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to have to embrace this. And at the end of the day, we all get to eat raisin cakes. Now, I'm not very excited about that. I mentioned all that for this reason. Because everything that I mentioned right there, Mikhail hated this. She despised this. David's out there dancing around like a lunatic. He's in his ephod, dressed like a servant, giving all these people this food. David's blessing people all over the nation, blessing the whole nation. And then David comes home and there's a dark cloud. There's a dark shadow inside of his home. And I just want to stop right there and speak to you that God doesn't just look at what's going on on the outside. God's going to look at what's happening in your homes too. If you want to be used by God, you want God to do great things, you want God to move through your life, you want God to fix your marriage, you want God to fix your finances, you want God to do all these great and mighty things. Listen, God sees you on the outside. He sees that you're coming to church. He sees that you're serving. He sees you're doing all things. That's fine and great, but he's also looking at the inside. He's also looking to see if you're mean at home. You want to do great things for God, that's great, but you're swatting ants and you're missing all the mosquitoes. God, God see, yeah, you're doing great in your business and you're making money and you're giving and you've you got this philanthropy, philanthropy mindset and you're serving in the ministry and you're doing all these things, but how do you treat your kids? How do you treat your brother? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your mama? Uh, teenagers, kids, how do, you, how do you respect your mom and daddies? Mothers and daughters, mothers and fathers, do you exasperate your children? It's in the Bible. David comes home and he has this issue. David's wife, Michal, is like, how undignified of you in the sight of all these servants wearing that linen ephod. How disgusting and disrespectful 
can't believe you would do something like that. Or. What was she saying? If you want to understand the meaning of what's going on here, you've got to understand her backstory. Three times in this passage, Michal is referred to as not as David's wife, but as Saul's daughter. As the daughter of Saul. And it's for this reason, and it's for this title, that shows us that that, that is the lens, and that is the worldview that Michael is processing all this through. She's a little ticked off. She's a little mad. She's got a little bit of root of bitterness in her. She's not seeing herself as the wife of David. She sees herself as the daughter of Saul. How important is identity in your life? Who do you see yourself as? She's seeing herself and her identity as the daughter of Saul. Because Saul would have never done what David was doing. Saul cared too much about his appearance. Saul cared too much about the outward appearance. Saul was too dignified. Saul was too much, he was all about being important. Saul was all about rubbing elbows with the elites and rubbing el hobnobbing and being up there with everybody else. Uh, and, and, and see, Michal did not like what David was doing. It rubbed her wrong. Michal was basically Uzzah version 2. She had an outward appearance, but inside she was dead. She had no reality of the presence of God in her life. The story is interesting because that's why I read the whole thing to you in 2 Samuel 6 because we're seeing the same theme revisited from several different angles. We see the deadness inside of Uzzah's heart that leads to a long-term death of Uzzah, and now we see the same thing popping up in in the heart of Michal. Oh, let me go here because, see, she didn't mind God being there. She didn't mind the ark being there, but she certainly didn't want to get all bloody in that sacrifice and that bloody mess. She, she didn't mind God showing up, but she would have been way more content with just keeping God on the cart. She didn't mind God showing up, but, but, let, but let's not talk about speaking in tongues in the church. and Let's not talk about being getting too carried away. Let's not talk about miracles and wonders in the church. God can show up, but let's not talk about Mark 14, 16, 17. It says, in my, those who love me, will in my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll take up serpents. They'll drink anything deadly. It will not hurt them. And when they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. I don't mind God showing up. Let's not talk about that. She wanted David just to be walking. Don't get crazy about all this, David. Stop the leaping. Don't get caught up in all that mess. We're dignified, bless God. Hog leg, fog leg, bless God. I don't mind the little God on Christmas and Easter, but we don't need to be carried away. A religion that you can control has no power to save your soul. See, God didn't just come to affect your schedule. 
God came to radically turn your life upside down. God came to invade every part, every pore, every square inch of your mind, body, and soul. God came to consume you. God longs for all of us to be like David and get carried away in the music and just dance a little bit and get excited and let the music enter your soul and leap and dance with your, in your heart before the Lord. David, God longs for that, for his people to do that. Uzzah wanted to keep God in the cart. Mikael wanted to keep God on the cart. Uzzah's death was immediate. The death of Mikael was everlasting because the scripture said she had no children from the day forward for the rest of her life. She's dead on the inside. (laughs) You can't multiply unless you're going to dance. And I'm not talking not secondary, not test, not necessarily talking about just getting your boogie on and dancing, although that's cool too. I'm talking about stopping on the sixth step and crucifying your flesh and honoring God and worshiping with everything in your heart and worshiping with your mind, body, and soul and, and, and honoring Him and letting Him do something in your life. I believe Sunday mornings is all of our sixth step. Where we take an hour to worship and honor and sacrifice. See, on multiple occasions, I'm almost done. On multiple occasions, multiple occasions, Mikhail had multiple opportunities to be involved in the lineage of David. But God instead chose Bathsheba. Now, if you know the story about David and Bathsheba, their story involves a lot of sin, (laughs) a lot of pain, a lot of regret. Death, murder, all kinds of stuff. But in all of that sin, this is the good news for you today. In all of that sin, in all of that pain, in all of that regret, David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba they, 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 they produced, they, there was the fertile ground of humility in their life. There was repentance in their hearts. There was gratitude for God who is a good God because God washes away our sin and he washes us white as snow. So God is not looking for the perfection of Mikael or the perfection of Uzzah uh, who looks at the outside but on the inside there's death. On the inside there's nothing but emptiness and pride and content. God is looking for someone with a broken spirit who's willing to obey him, who's willing to open themselves up, who's willing to be imperfect, who's willing to make mistakes, who's willing to fall on their Face, who's willing to trust him for their salvation, who's willing to, 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 I just want to impart this truth into you right here today. It's my life. You got to hear this today. You got to guard the man in the mirror. I talked about that in the first week. I talked about you got to focus. And then I talked about it's your thoughts, your mind. And this is week four. Israel, if you want to come, music want to come. That's to help you know that we're fixing to quit. It's just purely materialistic. Don't focus on them. Please hear these points. Write these down. Fill in the blanks real quick. This is your assignment from this on forward. I'm closing this series out. We're done. The first step is don't let failure stop you. Don't let failure stop you. David started in 2 Samuel 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6 with some great intentions. I want to bring the ark back. That's awesome. That's amazing. No sooner had he done it, someone's dying, someone's mad. (laughs) Happens in the church all the time. (laughs) David's mad, everything's going bad. 
And David took some time. Three months later, David says, you know what? I'm going to give it another shot. I'm going to give this another shot. I'm going to give it another try. We're not going to let, we're not always going to get it right, church. We're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to get it right in our marriages. We're not always going to get it right in life. We're not always going to get it right in our relationship with God. We're not always going to get it right when we're sharing our faith with other people, our coworkers and our friends. We're not always going to get it right in our businesses and our job places and our careers. We're not always going to get it right. There's going to be mistakes. There are mistakes to be made. You will make more mistakes. It's but it's listen, it life is messy at times, but you just keep going. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep going. Don't give up. Uh, there's power in David showing up again. Three months later, you know what? I'm going to do this again. I love the story of WD-40. How many have WD-40 at your house? Or in your car? Or in your bathroom? Or I don't know. I love how the story of WD, how WD-40 got its name. WD-40 comes from the fact that it was the 40th attempt that the chemist Norm Larson attempted as he was trying to come up with the perfect anti-corrosion spray, something that would displace water. WD-40 literally means water displacement perfected on the 40th try. Look it up. It's the truth. That means 39 times he failed. 39 times he missed the mark. 39 times he sucked it up. 39 times he was at the beakers and had the Bunsen burners out and looked like breaking bad. 39 times he could have walked away. 39 times he could have threw in the towel. 39 times he could have said, you know what, I'm quitting on the church. 39 times I tried the church. I tried this, Pastor. It doesn't work. 39 times he kept showing up. He said, I believe I can do this. I believe I can do this. I'm going to keep trying. And let me just encourage you. It may take 40 tries. It may take 50 tries. It may take a lifetime of tries. But keep showing up. Keep getting up. Keep trying. Don't let failure stop you, church. Mistakes are going to be messy. Relationships are going to be messy. Life's going to be messy. But thanks be to God that God's not looking for our perfection. Perfection is found in Jesus Christ. One of my mantras here at this church is strive for progress, not perfection. Make steps. Take steps. You know what I mean? Satan, you get kicked back by life, take another step. Keep trying. Don't quit. And then secondly, you're never more vulnerable than when you're in a victory. You're, you are never more vulnerable to the attack from the enemy than when you are in a victory. See, David had victory in his heart. I want to do this thing. The enemy attacks. Uzzah's religiosity. David gets the ark into the city successfully. Everyone's got raisins. David goes home and sucker punch waiting for his home by his wife. The, the enemy will almost always come after you after, at the, after the mountaintop experience. Always. Every time you come down from the mountain, I've been connected with God. What a great service. I'm growing, man. I'm seeing things happen. I, I'm just growing and I, I feel like I'm growing inside. That's when you want to be on guard. Guard yourself. Guard the man in the mirror. I talked about it. I spent 45 minutes talking. Go read that service. Guard the man in the mirror. The enemy will try to do something to mess with you right there. 
Satan saw an opportunity for David to get discouraged, and David's going home, and Michael is just there throwing shade. She's like a shade tree. I could just hear David's. I could just hear, man, I could just so relate with David, man. It just makes me emotional sometimes because David said, no. You don't know the hell I've been through, woman. I'm going to get even more undignified. I'm going to dance even more. I'm going to ratchet up my passion some more. I'm going to throw a little gas on the fire. I'm going to dance more. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm going to sing. I'm going to turn the music up. I'm going to make it louder. I'm going to do it more. I'm going to ratchet this thing up. You don't know what I've been through. Some of you, you've been through some stuff. Ratchet it up. Ratchet it up. Turn the passion on. Uh, Listen, David said, I see the enemies attacking this. Satan tries to come snuff out your fire, pour more fuel on the fire. (laughs) Ratchet up your passion. When, When Satan attacks, don't take it as a sign you're doing something wrong. Look at it as evidence you're doing something right. Woo! And then lastly, I gotta say this, and I'm done. You gotta hear this. This is you gotta oh, you gotta take away this. What you see is what you get today. What you see is what you get. See, they all looked at the same box. Mikhail, Uzzah, Obed Eben, David, all of them. They looked at the same box. A box covered in gold, but they all saw different things. Mikhail saw a king humiliating himself. He should have kept his robe on. He shouldn't stoop to people's level like that. She saw this king with a little K. She didn't even acknowledge the presence of God. She was more worried about her husband dancing in his ephod. Never even acknowledged the king. There's some of you in here today, I'm telling you, man, there's some of you in here today, the king of kings is in this place and you're not even acknowledging him. He's passing you by. What lens are you looking through? Is it a spirit of religion? Is it a spirit of indignation? Or is it a spirit of, I want some more of this, like David, humility and and humbleness. The king is passing by. i got to have some of this. The king of kings is here. Let me ask you, what do you see in front of you today? What do you see? Let's not be deceived. Let's take off the masks. Not the COVID masks. What you see is what you get. Listen, listen, when you look at, let me put it this way. When you look at your kids, what do you see? When you look at your car, what do you see? When you look at your job, what do you see? When you look at your life, what do you see? You can choose to just see normal, mundane. You can just see average. You can just see ordinary. You can see things you're not thankful for that are all around you. You can see things that, you know, I would change this if I could, I would change this if I could if I could just win the lottery, I'd do this I'd do this and do this, you can choose to see all that and you can choose to see all the negativity and you can be dead on the inside like Uzzah and Mike, Mikhail or you can choose in the midst of everything to see, man, I see God's hand in this I see God's plan in this, I see God's up to something, God's doing something, God has not forgotten about you church, God has not abandoned you God is just sometimes in disguise
He's in disguise sometimes. He's just looking for you to say something. He's looking for you to do something. He's looking for you to see something because what you see is what you get. Every sixth step, we got to learn to trust God and honor God and stop and realize the King is passing by. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand with me. We're going to pray.